Hello, friends, and welcome to the Wisdom for Life broadcast. This is Pastor Glenn with another episode that we hope will bless you. Awesome. Would you turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4? We'll, we'll just kind of dive right in. This is the last part of our series. Uh, you may not be thinking about spiritual warfare as we've been talking about these topics, but the reality is when we talk about worship, which was three weeks ago, that's spiritual warfare. If you think about Saul was a warrior, David was a warrior too, but David was a warrior that worshiped. Saul did not worship. And the result was he was overtaken by a spirit that tormented him. Hello. And it took David, the worship warrior, to come and deal with that. I don't know if you're hearing me today. He had to come and deal with that through praise and worship in order for that tormenting spirit to leave Saul. Then we talked about how we need to put on a garment of praise and how Jesus is that garment. And as you go through your Bible, you begin to see these stories that line up with something we need to put on. It's something we put on by praise and by faith in God. Sometimes you praise God by faith. Come on. And when you get to Ephesians chapter 6, you begin to realize that what Paul is saying is, is this battle really all has to do with you being in one spot and standing. So God has already fought the battle, won the battle. You need to stand where he's called you to stand and praise God no matter what. That's the garment of praise. So that's the shield of faith, helm of salvation, belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, sword of the spirit. That's all putting on Jesus. So you say, that is kind of ironic that we would see these things as spiritual warfare. But when you begin to realize that the battle has already been won, you do worship you do put on a garment of praise. And today I want to talk to you about putting on rejoicing. Think about this for a second. Paul in this verse, and we're only going to read one verse this morning, but this one verse is enough. Say, one's enough, one and done. Paul in this verse says something very, very powerful. In verse 4 he said, rejoice in the Lord. Look at this next word. Always. I, I, I know you see love as unconditional. You've been taught that, taught that, taught that. You know that if you're going to give love, you do it without any type of condition. In other words, we don't say, I love you because, or I love you if, we say, I love you. Hello. That's what Jesus did from the cross. But I wonder if you could see joy that way. Unconditional joy. This is what Paul is saying. Rejoice in the Lord. How, how often? Okay, so when things are great, rejoice, right? Okay, how about when things are bad? Even more. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then Paul goes, I don't think you got it. Again, I say, what? Come on, church. Rejoice, rejoice. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. For this wonderful encouragement that comes from a man that served you through thick and thin. He was no fair-weathered friend. His faith remained strong and rooted. He was no tumbleweed, God. He grew his roots deep into his relationship with you. And no matter what hell threw against him, he continued to rejoice. And God, as a result, many of us are here today... Because God, He believed you and trusted you. May we be the same 
for those that are around us and come after us, God. May we rejoice always. Again, God, you say in our hearts and spirits, rejoice. We give you the praise and thanks. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so um, I'm a Honey Nut Cheerio fan. I hope you are too. You don't like Honey Nut Cheerios? Okay, tough, but that's what we're talking about. Honey Nut Cheerios. The other day I was pouring a bowl and I found a hair in my Cheerios. I mean, all downhill, right? And, and here's the deal. When I pour a bowl, I do an old Jethro Bodine. I don't know if you're talking, you, you know who Jethro Bodine, I'll pour that bowl so it's overflowing. I think that's in scripture somewhere. And, and, and listen, I got a dog for whatever falls over. It's all good, man. My dog comes, in, in fact, Kingston knows it's Cheerio time, right? He knows when it's ice cream time too, because when I get done with the bowl, guess where that bowl's going? I don't want to gross you out, but takes care of that too. <laughs> I'm not coming to your house and having soup. Okay. But when, when the Cheerios overflow, Kingston gets the rest, but I don't want anything in my Cheerios and I had hair in my Cheerios and I know the difference between her hair and my hair. Okay. I got no hair and short hair. That's it. The hair I do have is really short is mine. Okay. And I looked at that bowl of Cheerios and in that moment I lost my joy. In other words, you know where I'm going. <laughs> you know where I'm going. I had EOs, but no cheery. Come on. I was mad. I was ticked. Right? And there used to be a cartoon character. I don't, I can't remember his name, but he was just, it was a hillbilly guy. Okay. And he would come along and it was the old guy. He was a grandpa and he'd go, honey, as soon as I saw my, that hair in my Cheerios and I lost my cheer and all I had was EOs, I was a <laughs> and in that cartoon, the, he had a wife and kids, and they'd say, "What'd you say, Paul? What'd you say?" That's starting to happen in my house now, because my wife will go, "What'd you say, Glenn?" I th it's ridiculous what we lose our joy over. We, we, we think, we think everything has to be perfect to have joy. And the reality is joy don't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. And God brings it to you. Look at little kids. And I see this in little, is Harrison still in here? Where'd he go? Did you take him back? You'll do just fine. Come here, son. Come here. Jump up here, will you? Come on. Okay. See, I look at little kids, and I, th I think to myself, I'm showing you the wrong side, folks. I, I, I look at little kids, and here's it. Can you breathe? Okay, I want to make sure we don't have to call paramedics, because in a minute we're needing the paramedics for me. Okay. I look at these kids, thank you. And here's the deal. This guy... Come here, I'm not done with you. <laughs> this guy's always smiling. He's always smiling. And the problem is, thank you, buddy. Give him a hand. The, the problem is, we get older and we stop smiling. Something happens to us and we start thinking, you know what? Everything has to be perfect in my life for me to be happy and enjoy. If the tiniest little thing happens in the day, well, that's it. 
And God is saying, no, no. And this is why, listen, this is why the rest of the world doesn't want the hope that you have. Because it's not hope anymore. It's not hope anymore when, when a hair's in your Cheerios at work. Come on. And you've lost your cheer. And people are going, why am I, why am I supposed to believe that? When the chips are down, you lose your joy. But it's not for little kids. I look at little babies. You know, they're awesome. Little kids are, are great. All three of my kids growing up, there was an age when we had a saying in our house, we had to say, ho, ho, let it go. Come on, we did that. We did that with our kids constantly, right? But when it, all the way up to probably five, six, or seven, they would, something would happen and they would be upset for a little bit. And then in the next moment, just like, just like your dogs, right? In the next moment, it's what happened? We don't even care. You know what? You, you know what? I can go outside now. Where's my bike? Let me go do this. Let me go have some fun. We're going to go play. That's kids. That's not adults. Adults, one little thing happens and the whole day's gone. The tears gone and you're left with the oaths. And I want to talk to you about how rejoice, rejoicing really is unconditional. Paul had to say it twice because he knew you'd lose it. He knew you'd lose it, so he had to say it twice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And I want to talk to you about that word. I want to break it down for you here for your notes. It's two parts here, re and joyce. Joyce is an old English word for joy. Rejoy. You're not recycling it. You're responding to it. How does responding work? When you walk into certain buildings that are made for a performance, a music performance, they have tuned the acoustics of that room to carry certain notes. In other words, the whole room will reverberate. Come on. So we get the word reverb. The whole room will reverberate once those tones are played. You could walk into those rooms and there's ab absolutely no amplification and still hear what's going on on a stage that is many, many feet away. Why? Because the whole room will respond to that note. Certain musical instruments will do the same. They will respond and they'll start to vibrate or reverberate to that particular note. In other words, it will respond once the right note is played. I want to tell you, God knows the right note by His Spirit to play in your heart. The question is, will you respond to it? Because the word re, it's a Latin prefix. It means to again and again and again and again. What Paul is really saying here is four times have joy. Rejoice is God gave you joy. You respond to it with joy. Again, I say rejoice. God gives you more joy. You, you want more joy, but you don't want to respond to the last joy that he gave you. Pastor, you just don't know what's going on in my life. You just don't know how bad it is. You're right, I don't. But I can tell you, join the honking club. Everybody's got something. Everybody got something. Well, pastor, I got this bunion. I know people that got 10 bunions. They got Paul bunions. They're covered in bunions. At the time that Paul is writing this, I want to give you his background, and then we'll close with three areas where we have to have rejoicing and how it's a spiritual action. These three areas are in pain, predicaments, and of course people. <laughs> of course, you think I'd leave that out? Oh, they're the best. <laughs> all three of those areas. But first, I want to give you the background of where Paul is coming from. 
Paul is at the end of a lot of bad news in his life. Actually, it would be at the end of five years of persecution in his life. All the way back in Acts chapter 26, Paul has been imprisoned for two years. Say two. He's imprisoned for two years and Caesarea Philippi or Caesarea by the sea, really interesting place. It actually exists. Been there. It's very, very interesting place to visit. He's in prison there for two years. Why? Because he wanted to encourage the Ephesians by going back to Jerusalem. And when he got there, guess what? He had some friends. And his friends said, you know, the Jews here hate you now. You know, the guys you used to work for, I want you to think about this for a minute. You've seen those old mobster movies. Come on. And you've seen the Godfather. And then he had his son, right? I'll make you an offer you can't refuse. Right? So here's what happens. There is a club of Jewish men who have decided that Paul is now playing for the wrong team. And so they go to the leader at that time. The leader at that time, the governor is called Felix. All right? I always think of the cat. Okay? They go to Felix and they say, he is creating seditions. All he did was to encourage the Ephesians was go to the temple at that time and participate in some of the cleansing rituals. They said, there he is, there's the man. When just a few years earlier, he was on the inside. He was in the circle. You know what I'm talking about? Where he was persecuting Christians. Now he has seen the light and they hate him. So much so that 40 guys, now I'm telling you, this is serious stuff right here. 40 guys get together. And they make an oath that they will not eat food again. Now, this is serious. I'm telling you right now. It'd take a whole lot for me to say. I'm not going to ever have anything to drink again. No refills. Right? I'm never going to eat again until Paul is dead. Forty of them. And so he comes under this person, this governor by the name of Felix. And Felix says, you're going to have to chill out, dude. He says, I can't do it. He says, well, let me hear you out. And he begins to preach to the governor, Felix. And you know what Felix does? He backs up and he says, let me get back to you. I'm convicted, but I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to have to get back to what you said. While he's there, the king at the time, his name is Agrippa, right? He gets interested in what Paul has to say. He shows up to Caesarea by the sea and he says, tell me your same story. In Acts chapter 26, Paul appears before King Agrippa. And boy, would I like to tell you about his background. Just know this. Um, he's an Edomite, right? Who was from the line of Esau. Ooh, come on, come on. Uh, he don't especially like Jewish people at all. All right? Long history there. He says, go ahead, Paul. Tell me why you're here. And in Acts chapter 26, verse 2, he appears before Agrippa. And here's what he says. Listen. Agrippa goes, how have they been treating you? And Paul says, Agrippa, O king, I think myself happy. It doesn't matter what they're doing to me. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It's right there in your Bibles. Acts chapter 26, verse 2. I think myself happy. I am blessed. I see myself as blessed and joyful. Right? The response after his sermon to King Agrippa is so prevalent because King Agrippa goes, you know what? I'm almost, come on, you know the rest, persuaded. You almost, what did, how did he almost get persuaded? 
He's seen a guy who just spent two years in prison. Forty guys want to kill him so bad they won't eat supper. It's a big deal. And you know what he says? I'm happy from the inside out. And it almost changed Agrippa's life. Now, that's a whole brand new, another sermon. We could get to that later because we all know people that are like that. Some are just convicted and some of them say, well, you almost got me, but you know, I'm just not ready to change. The leadership of that time was influenced. Why? They were influenced because of Paul saying, I think myself happy. What happens after that? He says, you don't have to set me free. I appeal to Rome. He goes to Rome. And while he's in Rome, he writes Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he lists these things. Five times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked. I've been bitten by a poisonous snake. I've faced angry mobs, fought off bandits. I've gone without food, proper clothing, sleepless nights. You know what? I've been down and out. I've been discouraged. And the devil thought I was defeated. But you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy. Rejoice is a choice. And it's done by faith. It's a response to the Holy Spirit that gives you the strength to have joy. You say, how are joy and strength connected? In Nehemiah, it tells us this. The joy of the Lord is my... Come on, church. The joy of the Lord is what? Not Listen, your strength is not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, why is that important to spiritual warfare? I'll tell you. Because if you want to win, you need to be stronger than your enemy. You, come on. You ever arm wrestle that fat kid growing up in school? He showed up every, he showed up in math every single, every single fourth grade, fifth grade. Huh, come on. I, I had one in my, come on, Glenn. Glenn, Glenn, the big fat hand. I'm like, you've been lifting, huh? You're right. I'll put you down one more time. The whole idea was, is all weekend long I had to do push-ups because I knew that big kid was going to be there. And the, the goal was to be stronger than the enemy. Now, he's not the enemy. The enemy's the enemy. But you know what I mean. And where do you get your strength? I want to ask you, where do you get your strength? I'm waiting. Where do you get your strength? The joy of the Lord. And here's the thing. You're, it's not osmosis where you just lay your head on the pillow and underneath your pillow is your science book. And I'll pass the test in the morning. It, here's it. You have to respond to it. And you're going to do that by faith. Just like you're going to love by faith. Just like all the spiritual gifts operate by faith. It's uncanny, but I've seen people literally be baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's at, Jesus has baptized them and they have the Holy Spirit. It's, and then they, you know, then when it comes to a spiritual gift, you know what they do? They say, well, when is it going to happen? Well, it's going to happen as, as soon as you step out in faith and people go, I don't get it. As if God forces you to do joy or love or peace. God don't force you to do spiritual gifts either. You're gonna, you're gonna respond to what the Spirit has already put in you. Somebody say, I'm okay with that, right? Okay. All right. So two more things and we'll be almost done. I just want to share this with you. Okay. If you're not born again, this ain't for you. 
If you got a dead spirit, you can't have what I'm talking about. I want you to have what I'm, t- I am not, t- I'm not being, but if your spirit is dead and you're not born again, you will never have this. The closest you'll ever get to in life is, is happiness, but you'll never have the joy of the Lord until you're born again. You're not hearing me church until your spirit is born again. You cannot experience the joy of the Lord. Because it comes to your spirit, man. It's not coming to your brain. Your brain ain't going to figure it out. Just like God will give you a peace that passes all understanding. It goes beyond your feeble mind and my feeble brain. And it comes to your spirit, man. And another caveat here is this. Just because you are born again don't mean you're walking in the spirit. In order to walk in the spirit, you have to live your life from your spirit man. And your spirit man is not your carnal flesh. Your carnal flesh says, I got to have something to happen out here for me to have joy. Do you understand? That's how drugs work. All drugs, even carbs. All drugs. I have to have something out here to go in here for me to be happy. Your carnal nature and your mind. Listen, the the Old Testament word for soul, mind, is nephesh. Write that down. Nephesh. Nephesh. Here's what it means. Needy man. I need. I need, I need. It's a little baby. It's a little immature baby. I meet so many solical Christians. Not spiritual ones, solical ones. Who's going to say hi to me today? Who's going to come visit me? Who's going to take me out to lunch? Nobody likes me. Because you're a 50-year-old baby. Duh. Hello. Mayfish. Yeah, that's the carnal nature. That's not where joy is going to... God doesn't give you joy to the baby. All right? And your flesh ain't going to do it either. You know what your flesh is going to do for the rest of your life? Your flesh, your carnal nature is going to go, I want to sin, I want to sin, I want to sin, 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 I want to sin, sin. What sin? It's always going to want to sin. It's not going to want to obey. As soon as you ask it, what do you want to do today? I want to sin. What do you want to do yesterday? Sin, sin, sinny. Where do you want to go? Sin City. Hello. And it's all outside in. I'm trying to teach you here. I'll save you about five years of counseling with this. Your spirit man, right, is where the joy and the love and the power of God comes to. Your spirit man. Not to Nafesh. Uh, the, the carnal word, uh, Greek word uh, for carnal flesh in the New Testament is sarkorios. It, 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 it means, it means fleshly, carnal, death nature. It will lead to death. You follow your flesh, it will lead you to death. You want to be alive? Follow the Spirit. <laughs> so God gives you the Spirit, and then He gives you joy, and the response from the Spirit man is to rejoice. You say, Pastor, how can I have that? Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you how you can have that. Like four people want it. Great, okay. Great, okay. Um, When you want babies to mature, you don't put them with other babies. 
It's okay for them to be with other babies for a little while. Babies got to hang, hang out with adults. I tell you how I raised adults, not by raising kids. And some of you are like, I don't get it. I put them around adults. They spent a lot of time with adults. And then I said, now act like an adult. Well, I'm not an adult yet. Well, get on that. Get on that. That's why we got so many people in our culture today, 45 years old. It's still baby. It's not cute anymore. It's not. Are you awake? So, so they're just solical. They're just fleshly. It's all emotion. You know what you do with a baby? Sometimes you let a baby cry. You say, Pastor, you are an abusive man. I, I actually got sleep. Every once in a while, you got to let a baby cry a little bit. Hello. I'm not saying not be, don't catch me later and, you know, try to hit a tomato to my head. I, I listen, you sometimes you got to let it, sometimes you got to let your flesh cry. Sometimes you got to let your mind cry. And sometimes you got to pay attention to the spirit. And you know how you do that? You spend time, you spend time with the Holy Spirit and you commune with the Holy Spirit and you mature. Fasting will help. Prayer time will help. Time in the word will help. You, you don't want that. It will never change then. It will never change then. You have to, you have to mature. And that's, Paul is mature enough to say, I'm going through various trials, but it doesn't matter. I think myself happy. I'm happy anyway. Hello? So the Holy Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, the Holy Spirit produces all that fruit, not you. All you do is respond to it. <laughs> I'm going to give you three areas real quick because some of you are done already. You're done already. And I am kind of too. Psalms 30 verse 5 says, Sorrow lasts for a night. Joy comes in the morning. How long does sorrow last? How long? For the night. Joy comes in the morning i want to talk to you about pain pain should not give you a lifetime of sorrow the scripture says sorrow lasts for a joy in the you have to tell pain not pain tell you some people are living scripted and what happened to them 20 you have to tell you have to put a boundary on you got to put a boundary on what happened to you and put your foot down and say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Somebody give God some praise. Because you know what pain will do? Pain will go, I'm going to take your Cheerios. I'm going to take them good. Yesterday was one hair. Today, you're going to go bald, pastor. And you got to put your foot down. you got to say, no, the line's drawn here. No more. I love when David lost his son. Well, I don't love it, but you know, he, he, David and Bathsheba lost his son and he mourned for a few days. And then the Bible says he got up, he tore off that sackcloth, he got all the dust off him, he cleaned up, and he went to the house of the Lord and began to rejoice. Join the living. You're still giving breath. You got to tell pain enough. Enough already. I'm going to have joy let me tell you pain is a page of your life it's not the whole book pain is just a chapter it's not the end of the story well i know but pastor you know things just haven't been going so perfect listen can i tell you we inflict more pain on ourselves 